Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, we'll talk tax and its impact on the lives of taxpayers and tax professionals. I'm your host, Kelly phillips Herb, Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Just over 100 years ago, the then-serving Commissioner of Internal Revenue, Daniel C. Roper, created what was called the Intelligence Unit to investigate widespread allegations of tax fraud. The unit consisted of six United States Post Office inspectors who were transferred to the Bureau of Internal Revenue. The Intelligence Unit quickly became renowned for financial investigative skill of its special agents. In the 1930s, the intelligence unit attracted national attention for its roles in convicting Al Capone for income tax evasion and solving the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. In July of 1978, the intelligence unit changed its name to Criminal Investigation, or CI. Though the name has changed, the role is the same, helping to ensure the integrity and fairness of our nation's tax system. As a tax and history geek, I've long been fascinated by the work of CI. And as a writer, I've covered stories that CI has worked involving cybercrime, FIFA, and identity theft. And when I relaunched the podcast, I knew that I wanted to feature some of that work. And what better way to do that than have a conversation with the chief? Today, the chief of the Criminal Investigation Division is Don Fort. Fort oversees a worldwide staff of nearly 3,300 employees, including approximately 2,200 special agents who investigate crimes involving tax, money laundering, public corruption, cyber, ID theft, narcotics, and terrorist financing. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Chief. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. What a great, uh, great introduction. Thank you. I'm pretty certain that when you were little um, and folks asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, you didn't say Chief of the Criminal Investigation Division at the IRS. So um, exactly how did you end up here in this position? So you would be correct. If you had asked me as a, as a small boy, I would not have heard of IRS criminal investigation, as I'm sure many of the listeners probably haven't. But let me just say also, thanks for having me. I love your columns and appreciate the, the few pieces that you, you've written about me. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Where did the time go? It's really cliche to say, but, but time does fly. And it, it seems like not that long ago, I was a, a rookie agent in Washington, D.C., and it's been... Uh, been a fabulous career, well beyond my expectations. And it, it is such a unique and really unknown career, but the people are just fantastic. And it's not just in criminal investigation, but the IRS and the whole federal law enforcement community and the tax and the AML community and, and the reporters that cover it. And I've been fortunate to interact with all of the above. And, and you mentioned this in your opening, but we have at IRS criminal investigation, what I believe is one of the most noble missions in all of federal law enforcement, and that is providing the backbone of voluntary compliance for our system in the United States. And it's really about keeping a level playing field for those of us that are striving to do it right. There have to be consequences for those that deliberately violate the law. More on that in a minute, but you know, collecting the money that funds our military and our roads and our bridges and our infrastructure People often lose sight of the fact that that's where the money goes. It doesn't just go to the IRS. It funds our United States. So, yeah, you wonder, how do you get into this field? I said, it is largely unknown. Well, you know, going back about three decades, like many seniors in college, you know, I had a 
degree, I was focused on accounting and, and management. And I was looking at a traditional uh, CPA, like big four, which was big eight at the time. So I you know, got my degree, studied and got my CPA license. And believe it or not, for me, it was my father-in-law that introduced me to the IRS CI recruiter and really started me down this path. So he was a 37-year veteran on the civil side of the IRS that spent the majority of his career overseas. And this was before uh, CI had any special agents stationed overseas. So a lot of the international work that agents were doing at the time was handled by the civil employees of the IRS. So he had a, he was fortunate to work with a lot of, of special agents. And as I was kind of looking at career paths, he said, hey, you should really check out this, you know, this IRS special agent career. And, and again, I, like everybody else said, what are you talking about? The IRS doesn't have a law enforcement arm. But I was introduced to a recruiter, and that's what started me down this path. And I started as a entry-level special, special agent in Washington, D.C., and was really fortunate to have some great mentors and agents that I, that I looked up to and learned my trade from. And one was actually the special agent recruiter that I worked with before I was hired. Being in a big city, I was exposed early on to big cases. Probably little known fact, I'm probably the only agent in IRS DI history to be the lead agent on two independent counsel investigations. I was the, the lead agent on the DC, Washington, DC portion of the Whitewater investigation, and also worked on the uh, independent counsel investigation of the former agriculture secretary, Mike Gaspi. And that's ancient history, but that's that's how long I've been in the leadership ranks. But a lot of success early on as an agent, but but of course it doesn't really explain how I've spent the last 20 years of my career kind of ascending to the role of chief. And I think about when I reflect upon the last three decades, there's three stories that that I just want to share really quickly that I look look back on as kind of shaping my career and really telling me to to want to be the chief and the head of the agency. And the first is really, ironically, was, was really my first interaction with what would be my boss's boss's boss, right when I graduated from the training academy. So the head I started in, in D.C., but the head of the office was in Baltimore. And he had a tradition of meeting with all brand new special agents face-to-face when you graduated from the academy. And I remember vividly to this day sitting across from him and after some you know, quick idle chit-chat, he asked me point blank if I had any desires or thoughts about going into management. And of course, I, I just graduated. I had no idea how to do the job. I'm sure I gave him a terrible answer, <laughs> but it stuck with me 30 years later and that, that leadership lives at all levels of an organization. And that early conversation that he had with me got me thinking about it and no doubt, no doubt shaped and kind of directed my career. Secondly, I think about my first experience in leadership, which was leading a group in Orlando. I was in my early 30s. It was a challenging group. And I remember I had two or three agents in my group that had over 30 years of experience with CI. So you can imagine what a, a challenging situation that was. Right. Frontline leadership is really what makes organizations successful. It's the closest to the work being done. You have the greatest influence on moving an organization in the direction that you want to move. And really, you know, the face of the agency. But when I look back at, you know, the eight to 10 leadership positions that I've had, 
that's really where I cut my teeth, dealing with those challenging situations, but also mentoring future aspiring leaders in the organization. And the third is, you know, a situation that happened a number of years ago, and I, I often remind myself of it when I'm starting to feel confident or maybe, maybe overconfident about the job I'm doing. And I always refer to that as you're not as great as you think you are. And I always share this example with new agents and new supervisors. There was a time I was applying for the job, and I think everybody has this experience at some point in their life, where you know you are the best person for that job. You have all the experience, you have all the education, you have everything coming to a head all at once and feel really positive about it. I was positive I had this job. Of course, long story short, I didn't get it. I sulked about it. I felt sorry for myself for a month or two. And then I realized that the only one that was really miserable was me. Mm-hmm. And I use this as an example, as a reminder, not just for myself, but for other aspiring leaders that it's a long career. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, and things will not always go your way. Right. You have some, some wins and some losses, but it's how you handle those losses that determine the heights to which you're going to go. I can think of many examples on both sides of the point where somebody let something fester and spiral out of control and somebody else used it as a, as a platform to advance their career. It's been a great career. I've spent now, with, with 29 years, I've spent over 20% of my career as either the deputy chief or chief. And it's definitely time for the next you know, steady hand to lead CI and just really proud of what we're able to accomplish while serving as the, the leader of this great agency. Well, you mentioned, first of all, special agents. I was wondering if you could kind of talk to what that means. And then also you mentioned the academy. And I remember talking to Justin, um, who you work with, about, you know, kind of how one gets into IRSCI. And I had no idea that there was special training. And I know in retrospect, that seems silly because, of course, there is. But I think a lot of people just don't know how that happens. So can you kind of tell us, like, what is the academy and, and how does that process work? And then how do you become a special agent? The special agent is actually a job series in the federal government. And there's special agents in probably over 100 different federal law enforcement agencies, from ones that are small inspector general's offices to the most massive, which would be the FBI that has you know 12 or 13,000 special agents. So as a special agent, you have police authorities to arrest and serve search warrants and seizure warrants and things like that. What differs between the agencies is really the jurisdiction. The FBI has jurisdiction over, over many crimes. IRS have, you know, the, the really interesting piece of the jurisdiction, I always describe the jurisdiction of IRS criminal investigation as being the broadest jurisdiction of any law enforcement agency. Because we're the only agency in the U.S. federal government that can investigate and recommend violations of the federal tax code. So when you think about, and you know, we've been around for 100 years, we're still the sixth largest federal law enforcement agency, but you think about federal crimes, for the most part, with the exception of crimes of passion and murder, they're all financially motivated. Mm-hmm. And many times it's, a, it's an IRS special agent unraveling a financial crime that leads to the crime being solved. So it's when your listeners, if you're well-educated in law enforcement, you're thinking FBI, special agent, DEA, HSI, Secret Service, you know, maybe those that aren't as well-versed are thinking about what you see on TV. So it is 
it's a job. It, the job series is is referred to as an eighteen eleven. That's the technical job series. But there are again over a hundred. The only two agencies that don't train at the Federal Law Enforcement Tra- Training Center in Georgia are the FBI and DEA. They have their own training academy, Quantico. All of the other agencies train in Brunswick, Georgia, and that that's that's why I knew that the the number. It's almost 100 that are competing for space and do all of their training at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. And those agencies that train there, there is a a nine-week basic investigator training class that all the agencies go through. And then every agency has what they refer to as an add-on advanced training. And in our case, because of the unique technical nature of the job that we do, our add-on training adds about 12 or 13 weeks of really specialized interviewing for financial crimes, writing, you know, financial affidavits and, and things like that. And that jurisdiction issue that you talked about, that's why when you get like a press release from the DOJ, why it usually at the bottom has IRS involvement. I don't think people always understand that because they'll see something like the other day, the, uh, the PPP arrests in Florida that were, were unsealed. And, and they mentioned, you know, that was the, the Postal Service as well as IRS. And I think that folks expect just those press releases to come saying, you know, FBI. So it's the jurisdiction, though, that, that brings you guys in. Yeah. And it's another interesting part of the job that we do for, for all the agencies, really, is we don't, we don't control our own destiny. Federal criminal cases are all worked with the Department of Justice. So you almost always are going to have a DOJ press release and an assistant United States attorney. If it's a tax case or a, a criminal federal case, there's always a prosecutor involved. And in the case of IRSCI, it's almost always an assistant United States attorney with the Department of Justice or an, an attorney with the tax division. Do you have a sense of how many times the IRS would maybe initiate an investigation versus how many times you would get pulled in to an investigation? Because I know a lot of times, again, you guys work cases together, but how does that kind of happen? Does it, I know there was at least one cyber case where I think it initiated at IRS. Do you guys initiate a majority of the cases you work or are you pulled in? So it's about 50-50 and the, the, the source of cases is only limited by your imagination. You know, there, there's cases that lately we're able to pinpoint and identify through using, you know, data analytics tools. But there's also, you know, like you referenced, there, there may be an existing case that the FBI or HSI is involved with that has complex financial matters that they would invite an IRS agent in. But we have the sources of cases coming in through whistleblowers, people calling, emailing our offices state and local law enforcement agencies. Obviously, we turned down many more cases than we're able to get involved. Right. And it's all about, you know, selecting, selecting the right cases. And more importantly, when you talk about tax, which is about 75% of what we do, it's about broad enforcement program that really touches all corners of the United States and, and all socioeconomic levels. And we talk about notable cases, the Al Capones and the, the FIFAs, the Pete Roses, Leona Helmsley, the ones that people would probably associate with the cases that we do. But more importantly than those are the cases that we bring, as the commissioner would say, in every neighborhood. And that mm-hmm. is 
you don't want the message to be that only if you're rich and famous might you go to jail for tax evasion. You want to see that, you know, there, there are tax crimes that are being brought and sending a message basically in every community so people can see that, you know, again, there are repercussions and that they can see that they're somewhat similarly situated as that person. So maybe you have a, a small business and you've been absconding with the payroll taxes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so people need to be able to see that there's there's people like them that aren't being truthful on their taxes that are going to jail. So that's a you know, really important point that we make. And over your career, obviously, I'm sure you've had like a lot of uh, cases that were particularly memorable for one reason or another. Can you share or are you at liberty to share kind of maybe some of the highlights, like thing, cases that you've worked that you came away with either thinking, you know, wow, we really made a difference or gosh, that was hard or I wish I had done something different? Yeah, I mean, I referenced it at the beginning, but I worked uh, a few independent counsel investigations early on, was fortunate to work with the former deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, and a number of attorneys that went on to become, become U.S. attorneys. I gave this example not too long ago about the first case that I worked. I think the first case that you work always sticks with you. And for me, right now, there's an intense interest in bolstering the IRS's fraud referral program. And, and interestingly, the first case that I ever had was a fraud referral. Okay. And, you know, I can remember working with the revenue agent. I can remember prepping for the interviews. And I actually got a guilty plea, a confession in the initial interview and a guilty plea on that case. Oh, but, awesome. um, yeah, I mean, just you're really fortunate when you're working in a big city and there's so working in Washington D.C. You can imagine there's no shortage of cases. You have <laughs> sure. 20, you have twenty special IRS special agents and probably a thousand FBI agents. So there's really great cases. I just had, was fortunate again to have really great opportunities and succeed in those opportunities really early on in my career. And obviously, it's very specific to the thing that you're investigating, but. How long would a case last? Like if you were assigned a case as a special agent, how long would that typically go on? We've all seen movies. We know there's some investigative like undercover work. Obviously, every case isn't that dramatic. Kind of how does that proceed? Like you get a complaint, you initiate investigation, sort of what is the life cycle of, of what that would look like? None of our cases get solved during a 60-minute TV show. So. <laughs> yeah. That's why you don't have IRS uh, CSI, right. I guess. It's not, yeah. like, it's not like NCIS. Or yeah. They're, they're solved quickly. But they're complicated cases. They're financially based. They're, they're very intensive, you know, documents, document intensive and, and digital evidence intensive. So I would say on the, you're talking from the time that you get the complaint, and you, you know, you make the educated decision with with the management chain that this there's a high probability that somebody violated the law. There's a there's a lot of scrutiny that goes into the decision before somebody is placed under investigation. Right. But from the very early stages to the point of somebody being sentenced for a say tax crime, it would not be uncommon for that to be three years would be quick. Wow. It would often be five years. I mean, a okay. complicated case that involves obtaining evidence internationally, you know, cyber cases, heavy on digital evidence and things like that. It would not be uncommon for the investigation to last three years. And then depending on the situation and the legal process could drag on another two or three years. If it goes to trial, add another year or so. So these are, these are long-term 
propositions. Right. You talked about, you know, doing a lot of the financial work, and I know that involves a lot of, you know, computers and that kind of thing. And some of these folks, payroll taxes, they're, they're not necessarily, they might be cheats, but they're not dangerous people. But when you start talking about some of the cyber crimes and the drug-related crimes, obviously that gets into kind of a different level of criminal. So do you have any personal experience in being like dangerous situations or have you mostly been on the death side? And, and what's kind of the split on that? Like if you're an agent, obviously, as we were kind of alluding to, everything's not a, you know, an NCIS type moment, but a lot of the work goes on behind the scenes. Have you been in situations that you would consider dangerous? And is that something that is regular for IRS or is that something that would be more extraordinary? I wouldn't say extraordinary, but but when you think about the types of situations that you're talking about are largely when you're executing the arrest of somebody, you have an arrest warrant, mm-hmm. or you're executing a search warrant. So those would be the situations when I think about in my career. Thankfully, I was never involved in a situation like that where somebody pulled a gun or there was any type of a situation like that. Mm-hmm. But it was not that far removed from me where I heard of agents, you know, having to draw a weapon or having to have a a, a confrontation with a subject. Because you think about you are, you know, in in the instance of an arrest, you're talking about taking somebody's liberties away. Right. In the execution of federal search warrants, you don't know when that's coming. So you can imagine that's a surprise situation. Many individuals, obviously, in the United States have weapons. So you're you're talking about a situation that could become dangerous. And there are, we've had a number of return prepare cases over the decades that have been dangerous type situations. But my personal experience, thankfully, has been, I can remember being in places thinking that something bad could happen here. But thankfully, I think because of the amount of training that we go through and trying to deescalate situations, in my experience, it's never, it's never come to that. Right. One of the things that's interesting to me while I write these stories is that other branches of government, I think, have sometimes have more leeway or um, other agencies in the, in the government sometimes have more leeway because the tax code actually prohibits a lot of revelation <laughs> from agencies in terms of people's personal finances. So a lot of times when I'm writing these stories, you guys release a limited amount of information compared to some of the other agencies. Do you think that because you're of the way that the tax code is written and, and, you know, obviously it's to protect taxpayers, but do you find that that makes people maybe a little more suspicious because they're already suspicious about IRS? Do you think that that makes it harder to explain what you guys do? Because you are definitely, as federal agencies go, I think um, the IRS, the the criminal investigations is always been more, I was going to use the word quiet, and that's probably not the best word, but you guys aren't front and center every day. I don't see you on CNN every day. Is that because yeah. of <laughs> is that because of the nature of the work? It is the disclosure laws exist for a reason and that's you know to pr- protect individuals. Right. As the IRS we have financial information on every well hopefully every US citizen. If you file tax returns or there's information returns filed on you and sure. nobody I don't want that information disclosed about me to somebody else. So those right. Those laws are, are very strict and well-established, but you're right. It's really a delicate balance because you think about the IRS that has, I don't know the exact number now, but say 75,000 employees and only a, about 3,000 of those are on the criminal side. Mm-hmm. The IRS exists 
in an ideal world, be collecting taxes, right? And you wouldn't need to put people in jail for tax crimes. Unfortunately, it's not like that. But it is a delicate balance between, you know, the IRS and taxpayer service and servicing the public versus what we do is when you don't do that, there's going to be repercussion. It is a delicate balance. We, I think over the last five or six years, we've raised our profile in that regard in, oh, you know, in social media efforts. And we have always been the agency that is you know, behind the scenes often. Mm-hmm. We're often the ones that solve the crimes, but it, unlike others that may be out enjoying the limelight, IRS special agents are often toiling through you know, boxes and boxes of records and terabytes of information to pull together a case. And I think that that's, you know, it's important to get out the word about what we do and the importance of what we do. But there is a certain degree of pride that we take in, you know, the fact that we are the ones often that are doing the dirty work, rolling up our sleeves to make criminal cases. Right. Well, I love that you guys are on social. It, um, it actually cracks me up because on Twitter, some of my tax colleagues will actually post things like, I've noticed that IRSCI is following me. Should I be concerned? You know, so there definitely is, there's, there's definitely a stigma. Well, yeah, when you say it more than anything, and even my friends and relatives would agree, when you say, when you say IRS, it strikes fear into people more than any other probably three-letter initial of an agency, right? It's just, uh, that's the way it's always been. Right. So if, if, I'm, if I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, I like tax, I find this interesting, how does someone say, this is what I want to do? Like, obviously, not everybody can become the chief. How does someone, if they're, if they're listening and they're like, you know what, I think I, I, think I have, I'm good at this. I'm good at, at tracking things down. I'm, I'm excellent at digital you know, forensics. Like, what would be the next step to hiring at, at CI? Right now, we're in the neighborhood of 2,100 special agents. And just to give you an idea of where that stands, we had about 3,600 agents in the mid-90s. So, And there is no shortage of work. Agents are in really high demand because what I talked about, that the need to often unraveling a, a federal criminal case involves the finances. So it's obviously in high demand, but right. we are doing hiring now. And that has not been the case for the last six or seven years. We have an open announcement that's on USA Jobs. We were slated to do 10 classes of special agents through training this year, which would be about 240. Obviously, like everything else, they had to shut down for several months and they've just recently resumed. But we have an open continuous announcement, which means that has been open since November of last year and will be open until November of this year. Okay. Every month we pull the roster to see who's applied. But, you know, generally we're looking for the applicants. When I started, it was very rigid in terms of you had to have 15 hours of accounting, nine hours of other business related credits. Now it's a little bit more, you know, you can use education, work experience, or a combination of both in order mm-hmm. to qualify for the position. Generally have to be under the age of 37. But we're looking, yeah, like you said, if you have that interest in investigating and financial crime, you don't mind rolling up your sleeves and, and as we always say, following the money, then it, it, it definitely could be a, a career for you. And, and again, it, you know, we try to get the, the, the word out there, but I think most people have the experience that I did. It just when you think IRS, you just think of, you know, a revenue agent or revenue officer coming to knock on your door and not a special agent. So it right. is. And we are getting, with the announcement that we have open now, fantastic candidates 
you know, really smart, you know, diverse group of individuals from around the country. So we've been really pleased with with the announcement that we've had open for the past year. Awesome. Well, as you talked about the, the fact that level of special agents, the numbers have dropped over the years. And I know that's that's a funding issue. And that's continued during your tenure, obviously, because Congress, you know, pulls those strings. But in terms of accomplishments under those circumstances, um, I know that you're retiring shortly. What would be something that you hold up as like one or two of the, the accomplishments during your career as chief that you're most proud of? There's a couple, and the first would be establishing the the NCIU, our Nationally Coordinated Investigations Unit, which is really our you know full dive into using data analytics and models and algorithms to try to identify where financial fraud or, or tax noncompliance may be. So it's kind of the the perfect marrying up of uh, really smart agents and analysts with data analytics tools and models and data scientists, but we've had tremendous success with what started kind of sketched out by me on the back back of the napkin. Mm-hmm. I'll say on all these, I had the luxury or I had the luxury as chief of coming up with lots of ideas. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not successful in that unless they're executed by, by great people. And we have great right. leaders in each of these situations without the right teams in place, they would have never been successful. But that I believe will live on and has really, really been successful to the point that just using the information that the IRS has and those smart people and computer tools that we have identified huge pockets of tax noncompliance in which we've successfully numbered cases and, and people ultimately will go to jail for those crimes. So it's really impressive that the work that that's done, that we've mm-hmm. done there. I think the work in cyber I won't take credit for that. And that started, you know, when I was a deputy chief, but the establishment continuing with the cyber crimes units, the work that we've done in cyber is staggering. And, you know, for the for the little team that we have, we are the experts in cyber crimes and, and really the experts in tracking and tracing cryptocurrency. The the one case I think you were referring to, this welcome to video. Mm-hmm. This is a a, a heinous cyber, you know, cyber cryptocurrency case, the world's largest child exploitation site on the dark web. And it was an IRS initiated case that we worked from start to finish. And it was, you know, the way we worked, it was following the money, de-anonymizing the Bitcoin transactions. Right. And you would never, you know, the, your listeners would never guess that that was an IRS case. If you heard about it, you would just say, oh, that's the FBI. Right. But many of these cases now, these huge cyber cases, are cases that IRS started and was integral in identifying where the, you know, the administrators, the websites were, and much more to come on that. Right. There'll be many more cases in the in the coming months that'll demonstrate the work that we've done there. And the last I would say is the or work internationally. Shrinking budgets, shrinking human resources. We've actually expanded on the international front. We just opened up a, a post in Dubai. We added another agent to Australia. We're, we're expanding our footprint. And I, you know, I talked about my father-in-law being overseas years and years ago. Well, now there's no civil employees overseas. It's just special agents that are overseas. Oh wow! And you know, more specifically on the J five, the Joint Chiefs of Global Tax Enforcement, which again was something that started as a pilot 
kind of a, hey, maybe we should see if this works, to mm-hmm. now being in its second year, really successful. And successful, you know, I mentioned the cases take a long time. So two years, we just had a first guilty plea. I have no doubt in the years to come, there will be many successful operations. But more importantly, you've got, you know, I talked about, and, and I think that pride comes through for what special agents do, but putting those, our special agents and staff together with equally smart people from the other four countries has been amazing. And the sharing of best practices and technology and operational prowess, all these things has just, has again, succeeded, I think, beyond all of our wildest dreams and, you know, will become a permanent structure and I think become a best practice, you know, moving forward. Right. Talking about moving forward, obviously, you know, you, you announced earlier this year, your retirement. So I'll give you the option of, of answering one or both of these questions, which is like, what's next for you and what's next for CI? What's next, starting with the former. So what's next for CI is the, uh, the commissioner will make a decision, hopefully in the not too distant future, about who my successor will be. As far as for me, I'm still young. And, you know, I, I typically, the way my career path has gone is every three years or so, I feel like it's time for a new challenge. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's three years as deputy chief, three years as a chief, and not sure yet what I'm going to do, but I'm going to explore some other opportunities and, and really looking forward to the future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out today to chat with me. I think it's really important work that you guys are doing. And I think that the more people know about it and understand it, the better it is. So thank you for your time. And I'll definitely include some links to the job listings and some of the other cases that you referenced in the show notes. Again, very much appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And that will do it for this episode. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Tax Girl, and you can sign up for my free newsletter at taxgirl.com. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them doesn't have to be.